Welcome to Radar Contact, the air traffic management podcast by Fox ATM. Welcome to one more episode of Radar Contact. Today we will talk about radar in the tower, which is a way of uh, implementing approach control from the tower cab. And to talk about this innovative way of organizing ATC, we have uh, two guests, Vicky Borgalhan and Paul Distelkamp, both working for Air Navigation Solutions Limited in the UK, which is operating uh, amongst other Gatwick Airport and Edinburgh, where um, RITS has been implemented. Vicky, welcome to the episode. Hello, Vincent. So if you can please uh, briefly introduce yourself and then we will hand over to Paul. Sure. I'm Vicky Bogle-Hunt. I work for Air Navigation Solutions and its head office. Um, I am an air traffic control operations specialist. My previous background was an air traffic controller, both in tower and approach radar for over 20 years. So my main function now with NSL is to support and implement projects and also facilitate in business developments and solutions. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you for joining today. Paul, over to you. Hi, Vincent. Uh, thank you for having us on today. I'm uh, Paul Distelkamp. I'm Head of Business Development and Solutions for Air Navigation Solutions. My background is in the operational ATC as well. I um, began my career in DFS in uh, Germany as an ATCO in the tower, and I joined uh, ANSL in 2017, where I started focusing more on projects, new solutions, innovations, um, and I'm now in the commercial part of the business, really driving the new solutions forward, which does include RIT um, and the support to implement RIT for other units as one of them. But there's much more that we work on to really see how we can transform air traffic management. Thank you for the quick intro. So to put that in a nutshell, radar in the tower or RIT means that the approach service at an airport is provided by an ATCO sitting in the tower and not in an approach room. But are we talking here about one more ATCO and one more working place in the tower cap? Or is it the same ATCO working tower traffic and approach traffic at the same time? Or is it maybe a mix of both? So I think it's important to understand the makeup of it. Not all towers are the same. So at an airfield or an airport, we would predominantly have a tower controller. So the tower would consist of potentially an air controller and a ground movement controller. And we would also have an approach radar suite on location. So the combination of the two would perform the RIT. Now, it could be just the air controller and the approach radar controller doing it from one position in the tower. Or it could be also combined with ground movement. So one controller could provide all three services from the tower. So I think it's really important just to get that into perspective first, that the one controller would sit in the tower and would provide both functions, the radar function as well as the aerodrome control function. And in that case, would then RIT be replacing the usual approach unit? Or would it be used, let's say, in low-case traffic, and then you can have a typical approach unit, which is also sometimes split between approach and departures? Or is it one or the other? It's important to understand that RIT does not replace the normal radar function, it is provided and utilised during low traffic or less complex traffic situations. It's tactically managed on the unit by the um, either supervisor or whoever is running and responsible for the operation during that shift. And it's used only during quiet periods so that the controller is not overloaded. So it does not replace completely all those functions. 
and uh, the controller would have to be both tower validated as well as radar validated to provide that function. You are bringing up an interesting question here, but maybe Paul, you wanted to add something? Yeah, so, so Vincent, the way I would perhaps in, in slightly in layman terms describe what RIT is, um, and, and no disrespect to the, the profession or the task and um, the responsibility that, that air traffic controllers have when they operate these, these positions. But if you imagine someone working in a customer center, right, and you have a function that responds to customer emails, and you have a separate function that takes customer phone calls, then effectively what RIT is, is during times where you don't have a lot of phone calls coming in, you just respond to emails. And if the phone rings, you take the phone as well. So you put those two functions into one. The personnel that operates those positions is trained for both tasks anyway. So in certain periods, under certain circumstances, you just let one person carry out both tasks because it's very possible and, and it offers flexibility to you to utilize your staff differently and actually also to retain your professionalism and, and training in the positions. If there isn't a lot of training you could get from the live operations so during COVID, for example, but there wasn't a lot of traffic and you would potentially almost fight over the few planes that you could control. If you at least combine those two functions into one, then you intensify a little bit the, the amount of practice, so to say, you can get out of the operation. Yeah, you touched something very important here, and Vicky started on that as well, which is uh, controller ratings. So controllers are rated on specific working positions. And in some NSPs, you have controllers that are tower only or approach only, and other NSPs have controllers that do tower and approach. In your experience with RIT, what was the starting point? Did you have controller having the two ratings already, or was that having the two ratings introduced with the introduction of RIT? So the controller would have both ratings already, and the radar function would also need to be on site. So the controller must be valid in both positions and current in both positions in order to perform the RIT aspect of it. So just to, to explain that a little bit further, you couldn't have a tower only and then a separate radar unit that provides the approach radar from a, from a completely different location, performing the RIT function as the two people would not be valid in both ratings. So they might hold ratings, but they're not endorsed at that unit. So the controller must have hold both to perform RIT. And in the case of ANSL, was that the situation before introducing RIT or is it something you introduced with the project? No, it was already the case at Edinburgh. It's, uh, they're, they're both located in the same tower. The management of licenses and endorsement and rating by air traffic controllers is, is quite an important topic and keeping the skills active is one thing, but you also need to record a certain number of hours on different working positions. So to go very deep in details for the case, an air traffic controller works alone in the tower doing ground tower and approach at the same time. Is that time counting towards all the two or three ratings or is RIT kind of an extra endorsement and the time doing the three coupled counts towards this one? So I, I believe every unit is individual, but what we record in the UK is meaningful hours that go towards your endorsement for your ratings. So during that time, if it is uh, perceived on the unit where it is actually gauged correctly on the unit that the time that you would be spent doing RIT is meaningful hours and it's counted towards it, it will be counted towards your competency and your currency for your license. But again, it's quite uh, important to understand that RIT is utilized mainly when it's quiet or, or quiet enough to amalgamate all three uh, operations safely. So um, the chances are that it's not counted 100% all of the time. 
it is meaningful hours. And that is deduced on unit by unit basis. And it could be how many um, aircraft there are within an hour, or it could be how complex the situation is. And, and again, from a business and organizational perspective, the reason you would look at implementing RIT is because you have to serve both functions. And actually by combining them, again, you can you can add either efficiency and or flexibility to the way you deliver the service. If the approach service, which as you've rightly pointed out, isn't co-located with the tower, then organizationally and practically, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to combine those two into one. If you had to put your staff on a bus to drive them to the tower first, and then all the benefits, all the value you would get from having a combined position would, would be lost. So the natural evolution that leads to introduction of RIT is effectively you have both functions in one location, you have a greater part of your staff pool, or maybe all of them valid in both positions. So they are qualified to do both, both jobs. And that then offers you the opportunity to introduce the option to combine both into one position and quite flexibly actually either combine or split them up again. And, and we've used it that way in ASL and Edinburgh before COVID had an impact on operation. We quite flexibly used RIT when it made sense, when the traffic allowed us to use it during the night, for example, we regularly used it. But then we didn't use it during the day. It's only during COVID now that we've actually started in Edinburgh to operate almost 24-7 in RIT. But again, that demonstrates the value of it. Having the option to do that meant during COVID, we could simply do it because we had already introduced it. And that meant we could react way more flexibly to the fluctuation in traffic. That might be a naive question, but what you said about the tower and the approach being co-located or not uh, makes a difference. A lot of airports have that, but some others don't. Typically, if you look at Frankfurt, the tower is at the airport, but the approach is in the center of, of DFS in Langen, which could make a link with another topic on which ANSL is active, which is remote towers. Could mm -hmm. you have kind of read in the remote tower? Uh, so I will say yes. I'm sure people listening to this might have a different view. The reason I say yes is because in my view, practically... Probably even formally and legally, there's nothing that says you couldn't combine a remote tower function with an approach function. If you use the example of DFS, which is what you've mentioned with Frankfurt, then again, you're right that DFS quite a number of years ago now made a strategic decision to co-locate the approach service with the en route service. So put the approaches into the centers, which therefore means tower and approach isn't any longer co-located. Other ANSPs have made different decisions and, and all of them have good reasons for it. Now, introducing a remote tower service, which then also does the approach service as a RIT function combined, again, I, I believe it's, it's very much doable because effectively a remote tower service is a tower service. It just uses different tools to execute the same task and apply the same procedures. The remote tower position used in DFS actually has a radar screen in the position. Now, that radar screen isn't currently used to provide approach services, but it has the radar data available and the controller working position itself in terms of layout has the screen in the position. So practically, uh, equally, why would you not combine radar and tower in a remote tower environment? I would say it's very much feasible. And therefore, I would again say my answer is yes, you can combine a remote tower with an approach service by using RIT. In your experience implementing RIT, is, is that implementation more of a technical nature? Is it something more operational or is it more process adaptation or a mix of the three? Um, it is a mix of, of all three. There is, from a business case point of view, Paul can, can respond to that. But from an operational perspective, in order to keep some certain skill sets alive and viable, RIT has been um, really ad advantageous for that. 
Um, again, you use it, utilize it during downturn of traffic or during quiet periods, but it, it does combine all three, the technical operational and the process, it's, all, it's a combination of all three. The reason to implement RITs can come from two different forms. It can come from the necessity for actually maintaining skill set. It could come from a various different number of reasons, but mainly from that, from an operation process. From a business case, I'm sure Paul can respond to that. Yeah, I mean, I, what I would add is probably that it, it, there's a change element to it as well. So there's a change in, in what controllers then carry out, how they deliver their work. It potentially is implemented for reasons that mean you want to use it to deploy your stuff differently. So it might mean there are changes to your roster. As a result, um, it might mean that you are freed up for additional tasks more often um, because you can with RIT. So I think one critical component as well is to manage that change, right? And to, to position RIT as what it is, which I believe is a positive thing. It, it introduces flexibility. It introduces the ability to, to potentially maintain your, your competency more effectively when there's very little traffic, which is what we've seen the last year, unfortunately. So it has many good benefits for the operation, for the business, for the team, but it is a change and that's an important one to manage. Once you've managed that change or as you manage that change, there are then, as Vicky says, regulatory points to sort out and ensure that it's compliant from a regulatory perspective. There are procedural things you sort out as training you need to deliver, but in my view, it all starts with the change in, in your objectives and the environment, therefore, that you introduce with it. You are touching regulatory aspects here, which are always quite key with, with change management in ATC. In, in your case, how did the regulator has perceived the introduction of RIT? Is it as simple as saying it's basically moving the approach to the tower? Or is there a much deeper change management and regulatory aspects to that? Yeah, so you would think it's quite simple because the, the one controller can provide and do both functions separately. But combining the two takes quite a bit of, of building the safety case, for, for a better phrase. So... The regular, uh, from a regulatory point of view, it is quite can be quite a lengthy process. So you have to have quite a robust safety case, um, and also be able to highlight to the regulator exactly how it would be utilised and in what circumstances and how you would maintain that. So not only do you have the the normal day to day regulatory requirements for both the tower ticket or rating as well as the approach radar rating. To combine it itself as well, you need to provide evidence and, and continue providing that evidence that's been utilised correctly and in the right environment. So it's, it seems quite easy on the, on the surface, but it does take quite a bit of um, engagement with the regulator. To bring them on the journey from the beginning is, is key. Um, to keep that engagement going is key. Um, and also to show that the future proofing and what you will be doing post-implementation is robust enough for it to continue working correctly. So ANSL went this way in, in Edinburgh now, and I guess you are ready to go that way with, with your other towers and with, with customers of yours. But what was the main feedback you've got from, from your own air traffic controllers in, in Edinburgh about introducing it? So introducing it, they, they welcomed it. They saw it as a big change, as Paul already said. As air traffic controllers, we, we can be quite resistant to change um, at times. And we did approach the situation recently quite carefully with regards to COVID. As Paul mentioned before, we only use RITs at Edinburgh mainly at night time, introducing it for more than just night time and, and mainly as much as we could during the day during COVID 
the guys at Edinburgh seem to be appreciative of that. It's very frustrating as a controller sat there and not actually doing very much uh, with very few planes. So from that perspective, it was welcomed from the controllers that they kept their skill set as fresh as they possibly could, given the limitations on the aircraft that they were they were getting. So to, to answer your point, there is always resistance to change, as Paul mentioned, within ATC. But it's how you manage that um, and bring everybody on the journey with you to get the correct engagement, which is key. Let's be honest about it. It really depends on what the intentions are. Why are you implementing RIT in your unit, right? I mean, as, as you said, Vincent, we operate um, RIT in Edinburgh and have since we operate there. Uh, we have used it quite flexibly and intensely during COVID now. And what we now have developed is a package that helps to implement RIT for other units. So we can support others that might not have the resource to do it right now or they might not have the resource or expertise in general to cover off all these different bases, so regulatory, safety, operational, training, et cetera, um, in which case we can support them either with the full package or with parts of it, with the intention to enable others to implement it because it is a great tool. However, that change point that we have now touched on a few times and, and the potential resistance to change, in my experience, varies with the intentions and the concerns that come with those intentions. So if someone intends to implement RIT clearly to then reduce staffing, then chances are the objections are going to be greater and the concerns are going to be greater. And therefore, the change management will require more work. Whereas if the intention is to implement RIT as a fallback, possibly to provide more flexibility, to allow people to get involved more in other tasks and projects, um, and therefore actually add to the value of their work and, and the flexibility of their work, then the perception might be very different and therefore the openness to that change might be very different as well. And actually, if you look at what change management is all about, it's effectively managing unknowns and managing concerns. And, and those concerns and unknowns might be far far less um, strong in that case. So that 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 is really key. What What is the intention? And I'm not suggesting that one or the other is not a valid reason to do it, but it is critical to understand why you're doing it and therefore how it will be perceived by your unit and by your staff. And then you can manage the, the change management process. I imagine now you are ready to offer that to any ANSP wanting support from ANSL on that. And having done the past show yourself is certainly helpful. So what is the biggest lesson or, or biggest hint you can bring to someone that would like to go this path together with you? What is really the big lessons learned from your own RIT experience? Well, I think it is probably what I what I just touched on. So it's important to really know why you want to do it. And, and personally, I believe that's probably the case with any change you introduce. If you don't really understand why you're trying to do it and what you're trying to achieve is really difficult to convince a wider team of the benefits of the purpose and, and to support it. I think the other thing, though, and that's why we have now developed this package that we can offer to any other NSP in, in order to help them implement it. What we have realized is there are quite a lot of different components and aspects that need managing when you implement RIT. It's As Vicky said earlier, it's, it seems like a simple thing to do because you already have a radar approach service and you already have a tower service. So you just combine the two. But practically, there's more to it um, to combine those two because effectively you're changing both and merging them into one. And to enable that to happen safely and effectively, there are quite a number of different components to manage. And that's where... If you don't really feel like you have the expertise to cover all those bases or you don't have the resource simply to do that in a timely manner, or it's just simpler to 
let someone else do most of that groundwork for you, that legwork for you, then that's where our package is, is quite useful. So we have document templates that you can use and, and we can help you to even tailor them to your unit. Um, we have resources that can prepare the training for you. We could prepare simulators for you. We could even provide a simulator for you if you need it, which means you can ensure that you do it properly and that you do it right. And that ultimately your actors who will be working with this once it's delivered feel like it's implemented in a way that they are confident, they can use it, they understand it, and they feel comfortable to work with it after. And that's, I, I, I would say that's perhaps one of the most important um, sort of reflections on how to implement and how to operate with I really like how you put setting the goal before using the tool ahead. And that you'd say it's not just, oh, let's do it because we can or because it exists, but that you really go deep down and with your own NSP experience, reflect on the goals first and the, and the tools second. To finish uh, our classical question now, how do you see the future of ATM Tower or, or generally speaking in five years, but also in 50 years when all of us will be retired and, and old? If I take the five years then, so I think it's really important to reflect on what's happened over the last 18 months, 12 to 18 months, that the next five years, mainly for ATM is going to be focused on recovery and how we build that up safely, but also how that might look different. And we've taken this time to, to maybe make some changes. So I think it, whilst we would have liked to see quite a dramatic change in five years, I don't, I don't believe that there will be quite a considerable dramatic change to pre-COVID. So that's how I see ATM in five years. I would probably build on what Vicky said, because it's absolutely true. Air traffic across the world is currently rebuilding or hopefully now rebuilding. And that's probably a risk to an extent, but it's an opportunity, a massive opportunity to do things slightly differently now or substantially differently. And I think the... ATM in 50 years time, I think had you asked people two years ago, everyone would have said something fancy. But reality now is here is an opportunity to actually start that journey now. Because if you look at what ATC looked like 50 years ago, it hasn't actually changed a lot. And I imagine if you asked people 50 years ago, they would have said, oh, in 50 years, I mean, it's sci-fi, right? It's going to be entirely different. Reality is it hasn't really changed a lot because it's a it's a quite sort of change resistant industry. It's a global industry, which means change takes time to be implemented. And really the only change we've had in 50 years is that we use a little bit of GPS now from time to time, but, but not much more than that. So I think now is a real opportunity to actually change the way ATM is done in the next 50 years. Um, I think recovering from the impact of COVID would restart all over the industry, both in terms of traffic, in terms of people, in terms of expertise, there's a real opportunity to do things differently. So I do think that in 50 years from now, there's going to be a high level of automation and that does not have to mean that people lose their jobs, which is the biggest fear I think people have. I think it just means the work that people do is going to shift. It's going to shift towards more monitoring, more um, intelligent engagement in the development of automation. But I think certain bits of the work that people do manually today, which are massively unproductive, really, if you look at them, they're not very value adding in any way, but they need to be done. Um, they're almost a bit administrative. They are um, tasks that that form part of the bigger picture, but in themselves are almost go as far as saying they're a bit of a waste of time. Um, I think those tasks that people currently do manually will be automated. Um, I think that will be a major change. I think another thing that will change um, as a principle is that I think we'll have to introduce a high level of flexibility and um, create a dynamic environment. And, and that is partially driven by the things like drones and UTM and future air mobility, which the whole principle of that is ad hoc travel, it's ad hoc flying, 
it's happening everywhere it's happening at the time people want it to happen so doing that in an environment with a preset structure which takes years to change if you look at changes to airspace today that's a five-year-long process at best those sort of things will have to change and again with COVID as as sad and as bad as it has been for the industry there's a real opportunity to now build up a structure that allows flexibility that allows to introduce some of this automation that I think will require and that then means we'll we'll have a really different ATM in 50 years time now I'd love to say we'll also do you know we'll be traveling to Mars and to the moon and all these sort of things. And it looks like maybe we are going to be doing that. Personally, I'd love that. Whether that is going to require air traffic management or not, we'll have to see. Well, that, that's quite a vision. Uh, thanks a lot, Paul. And I hope we can meet in 25 years to see if we are in, in the middle of that. So thank you very much, uh, Vicky and Paul, for being our guests today. Thank, thank you, you, Vincent. Thanks. This was Radar Contact. Visit foxatm.com or your favorite podcast platform for more.